Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and our hearts to love the truth of your word. And Lord, that by your spirit, you would lead us in all truth this morning. For Lord, we know that you have given us of your spirit and it's your desire that we would grow in the grace of your word and knowledge of your word and and the application of your word. And so we pray that you would speak into our own hearts and our lives today and that your word would, would meet us where we are and would speak into each and every situation that is represented in this auditorium this morning. And Lord, above all, may you receive glory and honor and praise. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The question as we approach this text this morning that I wanted to ask front and center is, how should we live? How should we live? Knowing what we know from God's word as disciples of Christ, how should we live our lives daily? Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, as a covenant people of God, meeting together to worship the Lord on a weekly basis, how should we live our lives day in and day out? In a very real sense, I think this is a question that the disciples are dealing with in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 16. And so, I I want us to turn to John 15, 1 through 16, and I want us to answer this question, how should we live? And I think Jesus is answering this question for his disciples. And so if you've found your place in John chapter 15, say, who dat? In honor of the first saints game today. It's close to amen, they're the saints as well. All right. Okay, let's read together. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made 
full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for I know all things that I've heard from my father, and I've made them known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit or bear fruit so that and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. This command, this I command you that you love one another. How should we live? It's a fascinating question. It's one the disciples will soon be asking Verses thir- chapters 13 and 14 share with us the upper room discourse where Jesus is telling his disciples he's heading to the cross and they cannot go. They can't follow him where he is going. And so in the upper room discourse, Jesus has comforted his disciples, telling them that he's going away and they can't follow now, but they will follow later. And that he has given them his Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the comforter. And so the question, how should we live, is really a relevant question for us today. It was one that was relevant for the the disciples as the disciples would be left by Christ as he ascended to the Father. And they would have to flesh out and learn how to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit in communion with the Father by the Holy Spirit. In the opening pages of Chuck Colson's book, How Now Shall We Live? He says this, In every action we take, we are doing one of two things. We are either helping to create a hell on earth or helping to bring down a foretaste of heaven. We are either contributing to the broken condition of the world or or participating with God and transforming the world to reflect His righteousness. We are either advancing the rule of Satan or establishing the reign of God. Everything we do is, ought to be tied to Christ and his mission in our lives. And as disciples of Christ, we must see this. You know, it, it, this question really gets at the heart of our relationships with others. And it causes us to seek an answer to this question that's one of life's most important questions. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why has God placed me here in this moment, in this season, in this context? What, what is my purpose? Stephen Garber, in his book, Visions of Vocation, Common Grace for the Common Good, speaks about covenant relationship. And he says this, three realities mark covenants wherever they are found in Scripture. Relationship, revelation, and responsibility. The first and the last, that is, relationship and responsibility, they are mediated by the second, revelation. In other words, each time a covenant is made, a relationship is offered, a revelation is given, and a responsibility is expected. I think that speaks to the passage and what Jesus is saying to his disciples. 
and what he is saying to us this morning. He has called us into relationship and he has revealed himself by the truth of his word. And by doing so, he has called us to responsibly live as his disciples. And really what Jesus is getting at in this text, I am the true vine, is this relational aspect and component of our lives. Him being the true vine and us abiding in the true vine. And he reveals how we are to abide in the true vine by his word. And get this, as those who have read his word and been informed and taught how we are to abide in him, there is a responsibility where our abiding in him produces joy and fruit in our lives. But we have this responsibility of abiding in him. And so this morning, I want us to begin by looking first at relationship and revelation in verses 1 through 8. You know, we've been uniquely created to desire relationships. And as image bearers of God, we desire community. And we even, we even gravitate toward community of one kind or another. I mean, think about it. Think about your neighborhood and our friends or, 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 or the place that you work or, or the people that you hang around. There, there, are certain, there are certain relationships, right, that you gravitate toward. We've been created to desire this community and to desire relationships, And so first, in verses 1 and 2, we see the relationship of vine and branches and vine dresser. When Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, as Mr. Al shared a moment ago, he's contrasting himself with Israel. Israel was to be the vine. Get this, they were to be the one who all other nations were blessed through by bearing fruit as the vine coming from God. And so they were to be the blessing to other nations as they lived in covenant faithfulness and fellowship with God. But because of their unfaithfulness to God's covenant, instead of receiving blessing, judgment was brought upon them. And so here's what Jesus is doing. He's telling the disciples, I am the true vine. I am the true one who reveals the mission and the will of God to his people. And so it's through Christ, through him, through this vine, that God establishes his covenant with his people. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 3 also uses this vine, our, our vineyard language, to speak about God's relationship to his people in the Old Testament. It's the same language that's used in Psalm 80 that we read earlier. And, and, and then the vineyard that we see in Isaiah 5, 3 says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is the Father, God. What more is there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now, let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed, and I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. To which Jesus responds by saying, I am the true vine. In other words, Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of prophecy that we see in the Old Testament. Christ is the one true way who reveals the Father. And so we see the relationship of the vine 
And then we see the father in verse 1. It also says the father, he is the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. And then verse 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, well, he, he prunes it. He prunes it so that it'll bear more fruit. Every branch would be identifying all those who have been created by God to enjoy His presence. That's every human being. We have been created by God to enjoy His presence, created to enjoy relationship with Him. As image bearers of God, all people are created with this divine image and there is this uh, in, the, in the image of God. And there is a desire within that we would have relationship with someone more important, bigger than ourselves. We would desire this community. And so every branch, those who are created by God to live in relationship with Christ, is called to bear fruit. But notice the work of the Father, the vine dresser. Two things. Number one, he takes away all those who do not bear fruit. And he prunes those who do bear fruit. Verse 6 speaks to this. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, well, he is thrown away. And as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. It's pretty simple imagery. We, we get the picture, right? When the branch is detached from the vine, it has no source of life and it withers, it dies, it's thrown into a pile and it burns. But get this. Get the work of the Father. Secondly, the work of the Father is that he, he prunes, right? Verse 2, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, but that, that which bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I don't know about you, but this is really encouraging to me. The goal of God's work in my life, through my life, is to bring about more fruit. Now, this happens through the process of pruning and if you haven't learned yet, the process of pruning can be painful at times. You know, but the end result of what happens when we prune, when we are pruned, when, when, when we prune a tree or prune a vine or prune a bush, the end result is that it becomes more productive, right? Remember, at our previous house, we had, we had a magnificent pear tree. I don't say beautiful because if you've seen a pear tree, you know the branches are all gnarly and it just doesn't look pretty. But, man, it yields great fruit. Pear, it's so good. I, I like pears. And so we had this pear tree, and over, over a couple of years, it began to produce less and less pears. And so I, I thought, well, I, I need to prune it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I need to go and cut it and do something. I need to prune it. So I, I did a little bit of research, and I, I began to, uh, to, to think about how I needed to approach pruning the tree. And I had a friend that had this a man lift, and, and he pulled it over on the trailer behind his truck. And I, I kind of got in the bucket and lifted up, and I, got, and I cut about the top six feet. I, six feet, I just topped the tree and cut it off and threw it in. And then I began with a, I had a pole saw, began working and, and cutting off limbs all around within the dead limbs that were in it. And then I kind of, sh- uh, I rounded out the canopy of the tree. And you never guess what happened. Did it die or did it live? Huh? Who said die? All right. No, it lived. Man, it, it produced 
It produced such great... Fr- uh, listen, ne- the next year, I wish I had a picture so I could show you. Uh, the next year, I had to go and pull, I had to pull fruit off. I had to pull pears off in every, every batch of pears that was growing on this tree because it was so much, it was, it was bending the limbs and they were breaking the limbs off. I mean, it had grown so, mi- so much fruit. It, it was hard labor to go out and to prune it. But you know what? It was so worth it. You know, and, and I think it's the same with us. I want you to notice that there is no branch exempt from the pruning work of God. It is God's desire that we would bear more fruit. In a moment, we'll talk a little bit about what that fruit is. A, a lot of commentators are just, they, when you read about what this fruit is, we try to identify this fruit, but uh, we really don't have a good understanding of what this fruit is. It simply is to, it's to look more like Christ. It's to be engaging in the work and the mission that, that Christ has called us to, as we'll see in a little while in verse 16. But every branch, get this, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why? So that it bears more fruit. At times, it, it is painful. But you know, it, it's through the, the, the pruning process that we learn to keep our eyes on God's big picture. And in time, we come to see the the painful work really is a glorious work. It really is a work where there is more fruit produced in our lives and and we are growing to look more like Christ and walk more with Christ and be more faithful in in leading our families and and, and, and being a a man in in, in the workplace who who engages and is known for his his morality and is known for his good reproach and being above reproach and is a man that's known for being truthful or or a woman that's known as a a, a woman of truth and a woman of beauty because of her walk with the Lord. We, We are informed certainly through Scripture of how what this fruit ought to look like in our lives. And so here's the thing, we can say with confidence for every disciple of Christ that God desires to produce more fruit in and through each of our lives. And so if, if we are to bear fruit in relationship to Christ, here's the thing, we must abide in him. We must abide in him. And, and here's what Jesus is teaching us and what John is showing us through Jesus' words here. Here's what he's saying, that when we are, are abiding in Christ, we need to see that Christ's word is central to abiding. The word of Christ is central to the disciple abiding in Christ. That is, our relationship with Christ is informed by the revelation of His Word. And so in verse 3, we see that the Word initiates relationship. He says, you are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Now, this word clean, it is the same word. In verse 2, that's prunes. He prunes it so that it may bear fruit. Verse 3, you are already cleaned or pruned like a branch. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. Listen, it is the word of God that draws us into relationship with him. It is Christ's word that cleans us, cleanses our lives, and teaches us how to walk with Christ. 
You know, the most important relationship in your life, it's not your relationship with your spouse, with your mom, or with your dad, or with your friend, or with your girlfriend, or with your children, or with your grandparents, or grandchildren. That Those are not, none of those are the most important relationship in your life. The most important relationship in your life is the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And the reason it's the most important is because your eternity, my eternity, rests on relationship with Jesus Christ. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, he says. You see, it's the word of Christ which initiates us, calls us, beckons us into relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, we must be a people of the word. As we abide in Christ, we must be faithfully speaking of Christ, speaking of his word so that others might be drawn into relationship with Christ as well. You see, this is one of the goals of bearing fruit, the fruit that comes from the vine as we are pruned by the Father. But not only does the word initiate relationship, the word also sustains us. I want you to see this. It's, it, it revolves around the word of Christ. Our abiding in Christ revolves around his word. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You see that? Abide in me as a, as a branch cannot bear fruit, verse 4, of itself unless it abides in a vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You see the word of Christ teaches us how to abide in Christ. In John 17, 17, Jesus, praying for his disciples, prays, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Or in Ephesians 5, 26, he, he, Paul says, so that he might, speaking of Christ in the church, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Or in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You see, God's word sustains us, initiates relationship, and his word sustains us. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, Abide in me? Well, he means that we would remain in him Because he is the source of our fruit, of our living for God. If we're to bear fruit, we must be attached to the source. Verse 4, a branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, this is what happens when we become new creations in Christ. The new birth that Jesus told John about in John chapter 3, or told Nicodemus rather about in John chapter 3, that you must be born again. This is how we become attached to the vine. We are born again. And then we grow out of the vine. We grow from the vine. And so he says, neither can you bear fruit Unless you abide in me. You see, it's essential that we remain in the vine. Here's why. Because the source determines the fruit. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, verse 5, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Listen, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to know this morning, and we need to remember that the branch cannot nourish itself. You and I cannot nourish ourselves and produce fruit in and of ourselves. We must be attached to the vine. In other words, everything in our lives must be dependent upon Christ. Many try and try to produce their own fruit in their life by approaching God's work as if it can be done without Him. But the end result is this. We get tired. We get worn out. We develop wrong attitudes. We lose the joy that He talks about in serving because we're doing it in our own strength. But, but, if we abide in Him... He supplies. He supplies the strength. He supplies the joy. He supplies the, the, the trust. And He supplies the fruit. Listen, you're not producing fruit, believer. You are bearing fruit. There's a difference. You can't produce it. Christ produces it through us. We bear what He produces. You see, a fruitless life is a symptom of not abiding in Christ. A fruitless life is a symptom of one thing, not abiding in Christ. So the word initiates relationship. The word sustains us in this relationship, teaching us how to abide in him. But the word, get this, the word also shapes my desires and the word shapes and informs us look at verse 7 at the end of verse 7 if you abide in me and my words abide in you look ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you what a great promise what a tremendous promise for the saints for for disciples Listen, as His Word has called us into fellowship and as His Word informs us, teaching us how to live and abide in the vine. Psalm 37, 4-6, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you what? The desires of your heart. Commit your way to Him and he'll He'll do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Get this, as we abide in Christ and He in us and His Word teaches us, He informs us so that our prayers are praying back his word to him and our will then is is shaped by his word as we live it as we pray it as we as we give it back to him and so whatever the situation and circumstance in life we we pray blessings over our children or pray salvation over our children desiring for them to be saved or are we pray pray for God's favor on our life as we interact with people in the workplace whatever it might be we know this we know that number 1 God is for us right and secondly we know this we know that God desires to produce fruit in and through our lives we don't have to do this in our own strength. We, we abide in Him. And as we abide in Him, He is the one that produces. We bear what He produces. And so the Word shapes and informs us. It, it shapes my life. It shapes your life. It, it happens through prayer. We ask the Father, are you asking God for great things? 
in your life and through your life? Or have you just kind of settled? Are we asking God to do great works in the midst of our congregation or in the midst of this city through our congregation? Are, are we asking the Lord to do great works in our own hearts and minds as we engage with others, with unbelievers? Are we, are we seeking out the opportunities that God has given us to share the gospel and the hope of it? Are we, are we asking God for these things? Are we, when's the last time that we have asked God to bring salvation into the life of another person? Some of us has been this morning. Others, it's been a month, maybe three months. And I'm not saying that to make us feel guilty, but I'm just saying it to draw our attention here. Look, look at what he says. Whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish. If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Here's a blank check from the Father. He wants to work in and through our lives. He wants to use us. He wants to produce fruit in our lives. And we need to ask, God, what fruit do you want to produce? God, how do you want, how do you want me to be used for your glory? In fact, look at verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Get this, true discipleship is marked by fruitfulness. And this fruit that he's talking about bearing, it's in line with Jesus' words. It's centered around his word. It is a result of, of prayer, and it brings glory to the Father. God desires to work in and through us, that we might bring him glory. So here's the question, how should we live? Well, he calls us to abide, that is, remain in the vine, remain in him. This is relationship where, where God's word reveals how we are to remain. And so how should we live? We should live as, as fruit-bearing disciples who bring glory to God. This is God's desire for us in Christ, that we would be fruit-bearing disciples, bringing glory to the Father. So the revelation of the Word calls us, it keeps us, and it shapes our relationship with Christ. But get this, the revelation also informs us of our responsibility in Christ. Informs us of our responsibility in Christ. Christ. So the question is, how, how do we remain in the vine? We've talked about abiding in him, remaining in the vine, and how the word reveals Christ to us and teaches us how to remain in the vine. But what, what's the practical side of that? Well, the practical side of that is, is the responsibility that God has called us to as his disciples, as faithful followers of Christ. He says, abide in my Love, in verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, the command. Abide in my love, meaning this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he gives us a model in the second part of verse 10. I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How did Jesus keep the commandments of the Father and abide in the love of the Father? Well, he walked in obedience to the will of God. 
In fact, in John 4, 34, Jesus has said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, it was his desire to accomplish the work of the Father. Is this our desire? To be about accomplishing the work of the Father day in and day out? That we would be abiding in Christ's love? You see, Jesus knows when we abide in him, we'll experience maximum joy in life. Maximum joy in life. Not, not minimum. Not woe is me. I'm, I'm walking humbly and holy. No, maximum joy in that, oh man, the Lord is just working in our lives. He's working in my life and blessing me. And there's a, there's a place of contentment. Because look at what he says in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. And get this, that your joy may be made full. You see, here's the thing. Christ wants his joy to fill our lives. He wants his joy to satisfy our souls at a deep place where it can't be satisfied anywhere else. Because we must learn that true eternal joy is only found in union with Christ. You see, true joy comes when we know and we understand this. The central responsibility in our lives is knowing Christ, loving Christ, and making Him known. Those three things must consume our lives. Knowing Christ, loving Christ. Christ and making him known so often we fool ourselves into thinking that we can we can know this joy through momentarily satisfying the cravings or the passions of the flesh but deep down the Christian knows that addictions or vices or even slight tolerations of of sin in our life leave no room for the joy that Jesus speaks of You see, abiding in Christ calls us to say this, along with Christ, my food is to do the will of Him who has sent me. Therefore, what, what I want to do, it's swallowed up in what Christ wants me to do. My will is surrendered to His will. So we see in verses 12 through 15, the the greatest command modeled. Love of Christ is revealed. He said in, in, in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So the question is, how did Christ love us? Because he calls us to love one another just as he has loved us. How did he love us? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. In other words, Christ loved me so much that he laid down his life that I might have life, that we might have life. So think about this. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He calls us to love one another as he has loved us. Which means as a friend, he, he laid down his life for us. And as all who have unity in the body of Christ, all all who have share of the same spirit, how then does that impact the way that we interact with one another? Are Are we loving one another with the same love with which Christ has loved us? Do we 
Do we love others enough to, share, to, to, to truthfully share with them about what's going on in our lives or maybe an area where, where they've caused us to stumble? Do we approach people in a way where we desire to bring about reconciliation? Are, are we open to, to loving others back into the fellowship? Do we seek to restore brothers and sisters? Are we, are we sharing the truth in love? Do we harbor bitterness or, or hatred in our hearts toward others? Do, do we exercise patience with one another and with others? You see, Jesus calls us friends, and as friends, here's the thing, we are the objects of his love. And as the one who models perfect friendship, I, I don't know if you've been betrayed by a friend before. I hope you haven't, but if you have, you know the pain that comes with it. But get this, Jesus models perfect friendship he laid down his life for his friends you see friends don't betray one another they don't deceive one another they don't keep secrets so as to make one or another jealous or to incite others to envy friends don't treat one another maliciously or or manipulatively no you, you know what friends do they honor one another right they honor this is the characteristic of, of Christianity, that we would honor others and we would esteem them above ourselves. But, but get this. Jesus says in verse 14, the height of our friendship with him is seen in our responsibility of living his commands. Here's how we honor Christ. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Look at the distinction in verse 15 between friends and slaves. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Get this. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. See, here's the thing. A friend knows the will of the master. We know the will of our master, of our Lord, through his word, through his revelation. The slave is told what to do and simply obeys because he has to. But a friend, a friend is informed of the master's thinking and and a friend enjoys the privilege of knowing the master's heart. And this is what happens through the word and through relationship with Christ and revelation. He has revealed himself to us and he has called us on mission with him. And so Jesus has revealed the mission of the Father to us through his word. And as branches attached to the vine, we are to bear fruit from Christ for the glory of God. So what is our responsibility? Verse 16, here it is. Go, bear fruit, and pray. Go. It speaks of the mission that Christ has sent us on. This is a walk of humility. You didn't choose me, he tells them. I chose you, and I appointed you. In other words, I set you apart for this reason, that you would go. So Christ says to us, I've set you apart. I've appointed you for this, that you would go, that you would be about the mission. What is it? Abide in me, and I'll give you the marching orders. Follow me. Allow my word to inform you. Be in relationship. Let my word shape you and sustain you. Go and bear fruit. This is a command and it's a responsibility. 
It's a responsibility not that we produce fruit, but that we abide so that we bear fruit. And he says it'll be enduring fruit that will last. This is enduring fruit. And then he says, ask the Father in my name. It's his desire that we would be asking the Father for the work to be done through us and in us and that we would come to the Father ask whatever, so that whatever you ask in my, ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. You see, Jesus is the true vine who calls people and gives them the responsibility of bringing others into the vine. What's your relationship to Jesus Christ, to the vine this morning? Do you know Christ? Are you, are you abiding in the vine? Are you submitting to the, the pruning work of the Father? And are you delighting in His work in your life? Are you allowing the Word to shape and to sustain you and to even guide you in prayer? Are you bearing fruit? I pray this morning that God is doing a work in each of our hearts creating within us a greater hunger and desire that we would bear more fruit, that we would be open to seeing how we might be pruning our own lives and working in and through each of us. Why? For his own glory. For his own glory. May our lives bring glory to the Father. I want to pray, and I want to invite you to respond just right where you are this morning. Spend time in prayer, submitting and surrendering to the Lord, asking God to strengthen you to abide in him, However the Lord has spoken to you this morning, respond. Take some time to respond to the Lord. Let us pray. Father, your word is sharp and powerful and pierces even to the division of joint and marrow and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of our own hearts. And Lord, as we come this morning, we, we surrender ourselves to you. We've asked that you would speak to us and We know, God, that it's your desire and it's within your desire that you would lead us and direct us. And so, Lord, I I pray that you give us strength today to respond to your prompting and your leading. And, Lord, that you would fill us with the joy of heaven, that our joy may be made full as we abide in you. Fill us, Lord, with your joy, joy that overcomes any circumstances we might be in because it is the joy of contentment and knowing your presence. And so, Lord, strengthen us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?